Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. Singapore Homebrew on Money FM 89.3. Let's talk about the apps you use. How many apps do you have on your phone, Neil? Too many. Yeah, like because bunches, I, have, right? I have a very old phone, and you know I'm a stubborn Luddite. Yep. I refuse to get rid of it because the more people tell me to get rid of it, that's the worst thing to say to me. It's crashing on a daily basis. But at least 50? I don't know. Maybe more? Well, you know, businesses design their apps to influence consumer behavior. Obviously, right? They want to drive you to do certain things or be useful to you in certain ways. Um, combination of the visual element of the app, how it is to use the user experience mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. And there's this there's this part of behavioral science called choice architecture. Yeah, I want to know about this. Which leads us into our guest today. Joining us in studio, Andrea Ng, the APAC Insights Director for Canvas 8 Singapore, talking about these behavioral insights. And it is great to have you with us today, Andrea. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Tell us, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about Canvas 8. What do you guys do at Canvas 8? Well, at Canvas 8, we are kind of behavioral insights practice. Mm. And we are very interested in understanding human behavior and human culture, Mm. essentially. What is impacting how we behave, how we buy certain products, um, how we interact with brands, and what are some of the micro forces of change that's really influencing our actions and our behaviors. And you do this for clients. Clients want to know how that happens so that you do the research and tell them. Yes. And part of the work that we do is very much interested in understanding and leaning on all these academics, behavioral scientists, people, psychologists even, Mm. to understand what they are doing in terms of the leading fields of understanding human behavior. I kind of take in the understanding from a consumer culture perspective hmm. so that our clients and our brands and marketers can really understand how to best reach us, essentially. Yeah, so, so let's pretend I'm a client. You don't have to give an actual name. You can if you want, one of your clients. I come to you, and what are the kind of questions I would ask you? What what problems am I looking for you to solve? Oh. Give, us a, give us a real-life kind of example. Sure, it can be anything. It could be down to, I want to be able to sell this product into a new target target audience, for example. Mm. Or it could be, I'm kind of planning to create a new campaign, a new advertisement to try and target um, Singaporeans, for example, the Gen Z population. How do I understand what Gen Zs are behaving today? How are they shopping? How are they interacting on social media, for example? We start unpacking a little bit more about their behaviors, how their mindsets, for example, their value systems, for example, so that then we can go back to our clients and say, this is how Gen Zs behave today. Mm. How are your campaigns? Pains going to land up with them. And how would you, sorry, how would you get that information? Would you look at data, algorithms? How oh. would you work out what Gen Z is looking at and buying and shopping and so sure. on? Sure. At, at Canvas Aid, we are kind of methodology agnostic. So essentially what this means is we look at the challenge that the clients give us and we start thinking about what are some of the best ways to get to that answer. It could be down to ethnography, for example, just mm. staying in with consumers for a good half a day, absor- observing their behaviors, down to using data analytics, social media listening, or even down to kind of doing quantitative questionnaire surveys and so on and so forth. We also do a um, kind of trans-futuristic understanding to try to map out some of what we call macro behaviors of change because 
because anything and everything we do is influenced by some of what we call the macro forces of change influencing on a global level as well. When you think about that right now, in this particular moment, AI is a huge thing, and but there's lots happening around the world. What are some of those macro influences that are driving consumer behaviors or the type of work that you're doing? Are there, are there some typical things? Yeah, so, so what we do is we look at what are some of the big changes and big pauses of change. Permacrisis, for example, polycrisis is quite an important element to understand because year after year, time after time, you're living crisis after mm. crisis. This has an impact on how we look at our value system. This has an impact mm. on how we understand what our needs are, where our need gaps are. So we look at that as a polycrisis, for example. What are influencing these changes happening on a global scale the anxiety, the uncertainties that's happening out there, how does that impact in our day-to-day lives? This is one of the examples that we kind of really try to understand how that really impacts the way we buy, the way we shop, rising inflation rates, for example, inflation, for example. how does that affect the way we want to spend and what value actually means to us? Hmm. So these are some of the ways to try and understand the macro forces of change and how that impacts individuals. I'm fascinated by that. So let's take the polycrisis example, you know, the macro level. How would that filter down to the micro level how would you encourage a client to you know develop an app that takes in the poly crisis it seems a very <laughs> big thing to take in for someone who just wants to sell a product on an app how would you factor that in now that really depends on what angle we are looking at so for example if we look at the poly crisis it's really about understanding how people are receiving information for example when you go mm. into an application you go into an app or you receive news event for example mm. What are some of the thought processes and mindsets that people are looking at this piece of information or this piece of news? When you think about their context and their mindset, you start understanding how what kind of pieces of information is most salient to them. That's one example that we kind of need to understand. What is the contextual environment where people are start future, starting to filter information? Hmm. Now, the other element then is to understand where some of the interventions that are happen on a macro level. So we talk about AI, for example, digital interventions, technology changes, moving alongside these polycrisis and changes, changing the way we behave as well. So we talk about, you talk about having many apps as well, right? Hmm. The way that we look at applications, the way we try to gain control of our lives, for example, is through convenience. The applications give us convenience. And we think about in Asia, we're living in a world of super apps. Super apps supposed to maximize the seamless, frictionless lifestyle for us. We're meant to have maximized our convenience. In some sense, getting a semblance of control in terms of what we do, what we do next on an application in the digital world, in terms of managing, what is the big world out there that's constantly changing? What's a super app? What's an example of a super app? Oh, a super app app is potentially something like an example of Grab or Indonesia, Gojek, or in China, WeChat. Where you can do multiple multiple things. Multiple things on an application. So that is what we call a super app. And you think about the last 20 years or so, we've been moving more and more into the app world. And you say you have more than 50 overall apps on your phone. And with Apple, for example, with iOS, they recently tried to help you organize your apps in terms of apps that you don't often use it, you don't really see it on your front page. So in some ways, this is the reality, right? We are getting more and more apps. We are supposed to use super apps and apps to help control, gain some convenience, control of our lives. But at the same time, we have so many apps. Mm. Our arsenal of apps constantly grow. So this is some, one of the conundrums that we often see in terms of human behaviours and habits as well. When do we understand and how do we understand how behaviours are formed on an app mm. so that then we can understand 
where are the best ways to intervene and get consumers to start interacting more with our product, to start buying more on our product, or given, give them some sense of what we call autonomy of choice yeah. and control. This, this is genuinely fascinating because I do see a discernible shift from the regular apps to what you now call the super apps. For example, we've had the You guys in the studio, the guys who designed the You app for cold storage and lots of other... And fair price, for example, to use one example, that would be considered a super app, I'm guessing, because I now use that to pay for my food at the hawker centers and elsewhere. So I do see this shift towards maybe five or six apps that I'm using primarily for many multiple purposes. So is that something you're seeing, that there's a shift from the everyday apps to these super apps that do many, many things? Well, based on what we've observed so far, certainly there is a integration of all these different functions into a single app. Mm. We see that happening when we talk about WeChat being one of the first pioneers to really start looking at super apps and what that means. And then Grab, for example, you start having being able to pay on the on the app. You have Grab Pay, you have Grab Food, you have Grab Transport. In Indonesia, Gojek similarly have these functions, but at the same time, you can kind of call for a helper, get a delivery, you can get you know dry cleaning service is done as well. Your entire life is centered on this one single app. Mm. But at the same time, what that also means is that you start looking at a graveyard on apps on your phone yeah. because there are apps that you may not delete. There are apps that you may constantly keep on and you wonder why do people keep on certain apps or why do people constantly use certain apps and go back to certain apps. And it's the understanding of the why and the behaviors that we're kind of quite interested in, quite intrigued by. Mm. We're talking with uh, Andrea Ng, the APAC Insights Director at Canvas 8 Singapore. Do you guys only do you work only with apps or do you do like marketing campaigns as well outside of the app environment? Yes, so we work work with um, a variety of different clients and different functions as well. Marketers, brand strategies within our client um, functions. Um, app designers would also be one of our, our people that we work with, creatives, so and so forth. So um, with this particular piece of work that we were kind of recently looking at, it's really very much inspired by the fact that we are all using so many apps. And we came across this fantastic piece of work by Dr. Rick. And we just came out of the pandemic in the past three years or so. And if you remember, we had contact tracing, trace together. Yeah, sure. We have different kind of semblance of that in many different countries. And Dr. Reek's work was very much inspired by that in the U.S. So there's a lot of parallel learnings that we say, hey, actually, it's quite interesting here in terms of how in this climate, in this crisis per se, that we are kind of going back to digital apps to then try and kind of monitor our behaviors and try and manage out the crisis of the pandemic. Right. Which leads to this wonderful phrase that I've just learned today, <laughs> choice architecture. Tell me and tell our listeners, what is cho choice architecture? What does that look like? Okay. So let me break it down for you. Um, every day we make choices, right? What do we decide to wear to come to work today? Mm. Or whether we choose an apple or a donut to eat for, for a snack, for example. Yeah. We're we just automatons here. All we choose is our socks. <laughs> Our, our shirts are, are chosen for us. We're, we're the sheep of this operation. But I take your point. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it's down to like, you know, do you want to go to take route A or B to get to a certain destination? So mm. some choices are more complex. Some choices are more simple. We make choices every day. Simple as that. But choices, we make choices not in a vacuum. It don't exist in a vacuum. And what this means is this is where context and environment start really coming in to understand how they influence our behaviours. Give you another example. The word choice architecture has the word architecture in there. Mm. You think about a building, designing a building. If you're on this floor and you want to get to the bathroom, 
there are many different ways to get there. Do you take the escalator? Do you take the lift? The elevator, so on and so forth. So there are many different ways to get there. And it's essentially that. It's similarly the idea of the context environment that is set up that helps influence our decisions and our choices that we make, whether it's on an app or in real world, essentially. Wow. It's, um, it, it's really um, – it's a, it's a rich and complex, I think, number of factors that you can look at, right, which yeah. is the, the nature of data and, and trying to do these marketing campaigns. What trends – besides you mentioned polycrisis earlier, but if we look specifically in Singapore, are there cultural or societal trends that you're seeing right now that are driving people to bu- purchase certain things? Is it seasonality? Is it the, is it the holiday season? Is it um, – I don't know. You know, Maybe bonuses are coming up in February. Are there certain things that are – touchstones like that that are driving marketing decisions or campaign decisions right now with some of your clients? What are you seeing? Any hyper trends? Well, in Singapore, certainly, I mean, seasonality would be something that we understand very differently out here in Asia and in Singapore compared to anywhere else where there and we think about, you know, big major shopping holidays. And for the longest time, we've been trying to understand, like, the great Singapore sale. Why is it working, not working? How do we get spending more and more coming in to the brick and mortar shops? And you see that a lot of digital behaviors are actually where Singaporean consumers are actually pivoting towards. Mm. So you see a lot of shopping. You think about, for example, like now I'm renovating my place. And you start talking to many different other people, consumers on this bulletin board, so and so forth. And you see that they are buying furniture online as well through the apps. So you talk to someone who actually bought all the furniture the entire place buy Taobao furnitures and they get it all on the app wow. shipped it through all the way in assemble it by themselves and there's a huge community behind that so you see that a lot of behaviors are now pivoting towards the app world as well mm. so a lot of shopping behaviors are all moving towards that digital realm getting one of the big challenges for brands and therefore is how do you then create a multi-experiential environment for, for shoppers to come into the shop so you start seeing omni-channels coming in you start seeing multi-sensorial stores for example that's coming in. Um, you think about Aesop, for example, creating that environment, the sensorial environment, the smell and the look and the visuals to try and draw people in. Yet at the same time, all the digital sales like Black Friday sales is just happening right now. Everyone mm. is pivoting online as well. With the convenience of delivery, with the interconnectedness that we have, not just with um, stores and shops within Singapore, but across the world, I can simply just buy and furnish my entire place yeah. In China, from China. Before, yeah. uh, Andrea, before the pandemic, we saw a trend of people going to the brick and mortar stores just to look at the physical product. And then they were actually just buying it online from somewhere else where they could get a better price. Is that still something that's happening? Or are stores, brick and mortar, getting smarter about luring people in and creating these in-store experiences for them where they'll actually buy in the store versus you know buying online? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And it's really a good mix of all, actually. You think about ultimately shopping is an experience. Shopping could for many be a leisure experience as well. And there is certain element of picking up a product, smelling it, touching it, that you may not necessarily replace, be able to replace on the digital world. Now, we're not talking about the metaverse or how future is going to be like. Nobody really knows. But there are certain elements of that that you can't replace. 
the past three or four years or so, we've seen that because we, we are locked down, we have to pivot all the way to digital. There may be some kind of what we call revenge shopping by people coming back into in-stores, but their desire for experiences are evolving. And this is where we start seeing, like we talk about the multi-sensorial experience, in-store experience that really needs to come through. Mm-hmm. On top of that then, because we're so socialized and the habits of shopping, digital shopping is so embedded within us, mm-hmm. that there is an important for brands to start remembering, actually, you also need to connect back to the digital realm. Yeah. You need to find the best way to kind of create that connection so that people can kind of buy things online easily or even experience the shop easily. Now, you think about, um, for example, recently, we've, I read an article where Rihanna, in terms of Fenty, was creating this metaverse experience where you can start looking at lipstick product live on a person. You start using AR tools, for example, in-store in Sephora, for example, and you can start seeing how a makeup tool look, look or like. clothes might look on clothes, you. Clothes, exactly. Sort of Smart yeah. mirrors, for example, yeah. in changing yeah. rooms. So there are a lot of digitization in the in-store experience mm. to bring to life that digital connection in consumers' lives. Yeah. I see a fascinating chicken and egg scenario that you're painting here that I'm intrigued by in terms of trends. Does an app therefore follow the trend or set the trend? How do you achieve both? Because I'm I'm guessing a client will come to you, we want to do A, B, and C. And you will come to them and say, well, based on these trends, you need to do D, E, and F. Do you set the trend or do you follow the trend? Well, there is no direct answer to that, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And it really depends on what industry we're talking about and all the different other factors that we have to look at. Whether it's about setting a trend or kind of creating a, or, or actually following the trend, it really boils back down to what are people doing on the, tra- on the app itself. And if we start seeing new behaviours emerging, for example, then that's something to really understand and help our clients say, hey, actually, there's a new behaviour that's emerging that we observe, mm-hmm. so and so forth. What can we do to try and understand and tap into that behavior? So very much is really about understanding those actions and behaviors that consumers are doing on the app before we know what's the next step to take. Absolutely All right. I'm going to put you on the spot. So, Oh, no. He's doing one of his guinea pig things that he does he live pig? on air. All right. So we have our audio app for SPH Radio, right? We have our show. We're always trying to be closer to the audience. We're trying to make sure we can, you know, be more valuable and have greater, greater, uh, it, you know, interaction. What's one thing we could do on this show to reach out and get get our get more audience and and have people know about the show and be more useful to the audience? What would you say? <laughs> well, because um, well, we have plenty of polycrises happening in the studio every Saturday morning, every hour. <laughs> <laughs> We are, in fact, a polycrisis <laughs> happening all the time. But no, we have this. You know, we have this app, right? And it yep. covers all the different radio stations, and it was beautifully done a number of years ago. What you know? What? How do we look at that? How do we look at how we can improve what we do? Well, I haven't been on the app. <laughs> putting it out there. That's problem number one. <laughs> there you go. So, so yeah. the first you, thing is awareness. Awareness. You, you and many exactly. other people. <laughs> I haven't been on the app. Um, I used to have the app. She's very strategic in the way she's approaching this, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But yes, yeah, certainly. So I used to have the app. I stopped listening to local radio for a bit when I was work traveling. See? There you go. And I came back. So yes, you're absolutely right. Awareness is one thing, the first thing. Now, then the other point is then connecting it back 
to where your audience are kind of working on. So if you have connections to Facebook, for example, to Instagram Live, for example, mm. there's a certain way of connection that kind of help elevates the presence of the app. Now, we don't necessarily always sit in the car anymore and we are driving and always on the road, sitting in the buses, so and so forth. The next step is then how do we get people to listen to local radios even more and then listen through the app as well. Yeah. So then the basic function, a basic behavior, which is listening to the programs, it's all performed on the app and you don't lose that basic functionality, the right. basic purpose, intention, essentially. Then the next step is then deeper engagement. Like I said, Facebook Live, Instagram Live, for example. Um, do you have content that you then put in onto, onto the app as well so that people can then become a one-stop shop for all the information that they need to know from the program, from the host, from if anything that you kind of want to share with your audience. So there's two layers, awareness, then engagement, then deeper engagement as well. Uh, maybe and then so. to add to that, I'm, I'm guessing you'd have cultural factors as well because radio stations in different countries yeah. will have different appeals, different draws, different buy-ins, and then you've got to take those into account yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a complex business. <laughs> Lots yeah. of things to, to kind of factor in. Great stuff. Really interesting. If uh, somebody wants to get in touch with you or Canvas 8, uh, maybe they've got a problem they need to solve, how do they find you? Oh, you can just look for us at our LinkedIn page or just drop us simply an email. Well, one of our listeners have said, you have made the listener do this. Uh, Aloysia says, I've just checked my iPhone. I have 371 apps. <laughs> wow. I guess wow. I need to delete some. So what would you say to <laughs> people like Aloysius listening with that many apps? Do they have too many? Should they be deleting? Should they be pruning? Well, it really depends on an individual. What, and I would say it goes back down to your habit and what do these apps do for you in your lives? And I think that's really down, uh, curation is down to on an individual level and your purpose and your functionality, essentially. I'm going to answer that question for him. Yes, Aloysius, get rid of some of those apps. <laughs> super apps. That's way too many. That's yep. way too many. <laughs> super apps. Uh, Andrew Ng, the APAC Insights Director at Canvas 8 Singapore. Thanks for being with us today. Thank Appreciate you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.